Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good morning. I am Dr. Desiree Leibengood. Thank you. I am the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences. All right. I'm also newly the Associate Vice President of Academic Affairs. I don't know how many people know that. Thank you. And so I'll just take a minute. I like to always show you a picture of my kids. That's my family. They're super cute. Uh, it's really hard to take a picture of all seven of us at once. That's my husband, Lance. We met here um, as students, so, you know, that's the story. Um, <laughs> doesn't have to be that way, but we did. Uh, and then we have our five kiddos who we adopted in the last five years. So when I, say, when I tell people that and that I work full time, they usually say, how do you do it? And I say, the Holy Spirit and coffee. Um, but they're great kids. We love them. We have a good life together. So today I'm going to talk about something that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, and that is ordering our inner lives. And this is something that, here's some things you should know about me first. I'm a real connectedness person. Is anybody else a connectedness person? Yeah. If I had a day when I was in college and like three classes were talking about something and it all worked together, that was my favorite day of, of the year. Like, Anybody feel that way? It's like, that's the best day, right? I see connections in everything. I was an English major. I did my master's in English. I love themes. I'm kind of a nerd that way. And so then when I preach and I speak, I tend to pull on a lot of different resources. So you're going to hear from a lot of different spaces today. Um, because I love, and I love talking to people about what I do, and so I'll get ideas from other people. So some of you will probably be like, hey, I gave that to you. I'm not citing you today. I'm going to pretend that I'm brilliant enough to have come up with all of this on my own. But a lot of it's just from who I talk to and who I interact with and how we engage. And one of the things I've been noticing on campus lately, um, and Dr. Hagen has been talking about this a lot, is that we're really trying to enter a space of prayer. Like we've talked about the euphoria of worship is is good, but it's not enough. And we need the depth and riches of a relationship with the Holy Spirit based in prayer. We live really externalized lives. Like, y'all get your screen reports once a week? I do. Can anybody tell me how to turn those off after chapel? <laughs> I don't want to know if I'm up 10% on my screen time on my phone, right? Like, that just feels... Very shaming. Um, and I don't like it, right? I posted a picture on Instagram last night of my two little babies, and I will not tell you how many times I rewrote that stupid caption. And I ended up with, like, something inane, like something that doesn't matter, right? We live really externalized lives. We think a lot about how we project and broadcast our lives to the world, but how much are we thinking about our inner lives, because we have choices. We are made in the image of a creative God, and we are creating our lives daily with the choices that we make. And so I want to call you to a richer inner life today. And the first way that we're going to talk about that is through spiritual imagination. So this is not something weird. Okay, I think it sounds weird. At least when I was writing it, I was like, this is going to sound weird. Um, but it's not just about, I think sometimes we can really reduce faith to like, I've got faith, I believe in something I can't see, and that's God. And I think God's saying, you're kind of missing it. Because God is the really real thing. 
the world around us should be a little more hard to believe for us as Christians. Because this world is not the really real. Something else you'll hear from me a lot today is I'm teaching C.S. Lewis and the Inklings right now. Thank you. I've taught that class like a lot of times. And Lewis is really in my soul and in my spirit. So this is a Lewis idea. He would say this world we're inhabiting is the shadow lands. The spiritual world is the, is the really real. It's the firmness of life. And we get those backwards often. And to have a spiritual imagination is to recognize that the spirit world is beyond our understanding. God is beyond our understanding. God is beyond time. I've got a few scriptures on this. 2 Peter 3, 8. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. We look at Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He is beyond our human understanding. We sang about it today. The scripture we um, spoke together today talked about that. And then finally, Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. He is the beginning and the end all at once. He is outside of our understanding. God exists in eternity, and we are made in his image. So we are made to understand and interact in that realm of the spirit world. Let's talk about what that means, though. There is a really good book that I enjoy that has been made into kind of a crazy movie, if you want to put up the movie slide. Has anybody seen the movie Flatlands, like in a math class? Okay. <laughs> I, I teach on this sometimes, and people are like, this is math. This is not English. But it is um, actually theology, too. So... We know, like, our struggle's not with flesh and blood, right? That we are supposed to interact with the spiritual realm, but sometimes I don't think we really know what that means for us, what that allows God to do in us. And so um, this movie's great. It has all these 2D characters kind of swimming around, right? Uh, There's triangles, squares, and circles. And they're held in by boundaries that are pretty flimsy because a triangle only needs one straight line to hold it in. These flat characters, right? Flat lands. And when they look at each other, they can't see very much. If a square is looking at a circle, it's kind of just seeing like a curved little line. You know, if they're looking at a triangle, just kind of a point with some lines extending out. A square, you're just seeing kind of a a straight line, right? Held in by these flimsy boundaries. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of that world, you can see right there, this uh, sphere comes into that world, And the sphere can see things about them that they can't see about themselves because it can see above them in ways they've never been able to look at themselves. The sphere can cross their boundaries because those lines can't hold it in. We have to imagine spiritually God as so multidimensional above our understanding that that is the way our world works. I think we consider God very much within our bounds of time. Like, why isn't he working? And he's like, hey, time does not exist to me in the way it exists to you. Let's learn some patience because God's time doesn't exist. It's all in him all at once. 
The world would lead us to believe the natural world is the most important thing. It's the everything. But I'll tell you, they're looking for something else out there. We would not have half of the movies and the television shows we do without the world saying there might be something else out there. I was thinking about this with the TV show Stranger Things. Did anybody watch that? Yeah. What's it called? Is it the Upside Down? Yeah. I only watched the first season. But, right, they're looking for, there's something beyond this world. What they're missing is actually the something beyond this world is God, and it's the spiritual world, and it's actually more real than this world we're inhabiting. We spend far too much time as Christians focused on the natural world and believing God doesn't really pay as much attention as he says he does. Because how could he? But God is not juggling us. He is not multitasking to be with us. Let's go to this quote from C.S. Lewis. God is not hurried along in the time stream of this universe any more than an author is hurried along in the imaginary time of his own novel. He has infinite attention to spare for each one of us. He does not have to deal with us in the mass. You are as much alone with him as if you were the only being he had ever created. When Christ died, he died for you individually just as much as if you had been the only man in the world. Thank you, thank you. So, that's Lewis, not me. I mean, I wish, I should have just left him off there, right? <laughs> that's wrong, that's called plagiarism, don't do that. Um, the difficulty can be that we must, quote unquote, suspend our disbelief. And that's a literary term, not a theological one, but that tells us that to believe um, the book that's happening to you, right, that the one that you're reading and engaging with or the movie that you're watching, to feel the emotional engagement with that, sometimes we have to put aside the knowledge that it's not real. And that's not what I'm saying about scripture. What I'm saying about scripture is sometimes we have to put aside our struggle with how it could be real. Suspend our disbelief and enter into the mystery of God because God is a mystery. And so to help us enter that mystery, we must have a life attuned to beauty. Um, in researching for this and just kind of pulling on what do I know about beauty, um, I came across this scripture in the Amplified Version. I'd never read it in the Amplified Version before, but it is now like my favorite scripture ever. If you put it, Ecclesiastes 3.11 he has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Yet man cannot find out, comprehend, or grasp what God has done, his overall plan from beginning to end. One commentary I read said, everything is as God made it, not as it appears to us. We have the world so much in our hearts, are so taken up with thoughts and cares of worldly things that we have neither time nor spirit to see God's hand in them. But I want to ask you today, this is an exercise I do in class quite often, what are things that you think are beautiful? Just shout them out. Your cat, music, coffee. Okay, let's, get, let's, let's do this. I can't hear you. All right, what are some things we think are beautiful? Oh, boy. Uh, flowers. Flowers. 
boy. Uh, I would say my boo. That's I knew this was a risk. Yes. Okay. Let's see. Oh. One thing, oh, that's One thing that's beautiful. Sunrises. Sunrises. Okay. Now let's talk about what are the weird things you think are beautiful. I want. I don't want you to say them out loud. Just say them in your head. I'll tell you mine. Okay. No, the first one I have is not weird. It's just that every night when I put my two-year-old to bed. I say, I whisper to her because I try to get her to calm down. She's in charge of the whole household. Um, she's the one that, I, when I tell her you're my baby, she says, I'm not the baby, I'm the boss. She's two, so pray for me. Um, and I, I pray with her at night and I put her to bed and I lean down and I whisper, I say, Kingsley, I love you. And she grabs my face and she says, I love you too, mama. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, there's nothing better than that, right? That's so beautiful. And then my other thing that I think is really beautiful are my grandmother's dentures. Let me tell you about them. <laughs> That's weird, right? How many of you have something weird, though, that you think is beautiful? She used to pop them out at me when I was a little kid. Like, she'd pop them out of her mouth a little bit, and I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I, I don't know why, I can tell you from years of doing this exercise with students, you all have weird things you think are beautiful. But they're all different. Like some of you don't think sunrises are beautiful. Some of you really love a rainy day. Right? They're all different. What does beauty feel like? Let's talk about that now. What's it feel like? I'll come down again. Let's get some answers. I'll take hands this time, not just shoving it in your face. Okay. Appreciation and warmth. Warmth. Oh, I like that. Okay. It's loving. Loving. You feel that loving expression, Israel? Um. Elegance and just the beauty of seeing how everything is captured just right. That's good. That's good. Thank you. Let's get one more. I feel like when you see something that's beautiful, it's almost like you get like butterflies in your stomach. Yeah. yeah. How many of you feel it in your bodies? It's like, ugh, right? Like you get that feeling deep down inside that's like, oh, that's so good. That's so beautiful. Is the crucifixion beautiful? Objectively, aesthetically, probably not. What makes it beautiful is that feeling we get, right? That like, this is the moment Christ died for us. There's a word for that feeling. It's called zenzukt. Uh-huh, we're going to put it up. It is a deep longing for something beyond this world. Beauty speaks to us of our deepest longing for God. Of what the author of Hebrews says, uh, the people of God, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Beauty reminds us 
This is not our home. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Zenzukt is God's reminder. We long for him, and he longs for us. The problem is we have not created enough space in here to feel it. We live an externalized version of that. And we forget we're not made for this world. I've begun this little practice that every time I get that like, ugh, feeling, I just say, God, I long for you. In my mind or out loud, whatever it is, because I want beauty to remind me. I long for something beyond this world. We have to learn to listen to the innermost parts of us. To cry out to God, not just in the euphoria of worship, but in the deep longing of prayer and tarrying with the Lord, recognizing that beauty is God's reminder to us that this is not our home. And I want to talk about tarrying with the Lord. Now, that is a term that feels real old school Pentecostal to me, right? Um, How many of you ever heard like grabbing the horns of the altar? Thank you. Okay. Um, Yep. So you tarry with the Lord, you sit in his presence, and that is something that we quite frankly do not do a lot of in the modern American church these days. We were talking about it at one of my meetings where like, I mean, I used to go to church every Sunday and Wednesday night because that was the altar time. That was the time when you sat at that altar for an hour and you laid on your face before God and you're like, are people still doing this? Are we still? Okay, we're still doing this, right? Like, you learned to pray for more than three minutes at the altar on a Sunday night because everybody else was doing it. And there were models around you saying, even when you run out of words, you keep going. And in fact, when you run out of words, it might be the best possible time to keep going. You get somewhere deeper inside of you. That, that place of silence where God wants to commune with us inside of ourselves. I'm not talking about silence in the room. I don't think we necessarily have to have silence in the room. Um, and no noise around us. I think sometimes that can be a good thing, but prayer meetings are noisy. My friend Joshua was reminding me of this as we've been talking about this, right? And I've been reading um, some different... Uh, books on prayer and talking about tarrying with the Lord, and they all talk about the noise of it. Because it's 300 or 400 people gathered, right? And so that noise is great, but the silence is inside of us. It's that space where we say, Lord, enter here. Meet me here in my deepest longing, and I will cry out to you from there. That same grandmother whose dentures I love, (laughs) when I was a little girl, um, I had a lot of PTSD. I've shared this in here a number of times. Um, I grew up in a really crazy little, probably spiritually demonic town where a lot of bad things happened, both to my family and then to a lot of other families in the area. And so I just grew up with this sense that bad things were going to happen to me. Not not they could or like that happens to other people, but like this is going to happen to me. I'm just waiting for it. Um, especially kidnapping. I was very afraid of getting kidnapped. And then, um, I know that's weird, Uh, but my grandfather would fall asleep in his recliner to the channel where all the missing children would just scroll by. And I'd just sit there like, 
oh Lord, when's this gonna happen to me? <laughs> like, when's my picture also going to be up here? And I told my grandmother that one day, I was, I was very anxious about it, and she said, she pulled me in her lap, and she said, honey, bad things might happen to you. She knew that from experience. Um, however many years of being a pastor's wife at that time had taught her, bad things do happen. She said, if it does, you just pray, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Don't be anxious about not having prayers to pray. The most powerful one you could is just Jesus, 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 Jesus. I read a book called um, Black Fire by Dr. Estrella Alexander, and she says those tarrying moments, that is the prayer. It's just Jesus over and over. Thank you, Jesus over and over, to get to that deeper place with God. I think that silence is a spiritual discipline, but we focus too much on it being external silence and not enough on internal silence. The band can start to come up. I want to look at Jesus and um, how often he prayed. I have a slide on this. We're going to skip the Acts slide. Says Mark 135, then Jesus got up early in the morning when it was still very dark, departed, and went out to a deserted place. And there he spent time in prayer. Luke 6:12, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. Jesus spent whole nights in prayer. That's all the scripture tells us. What it doesn't tell us is how loud he was, just that he did it for a really long time, and he did that often. We have to spend time in prayer. One of my favorite podcasts is from a poet, John O'Donohue, on, um, on the program on being. And in it, he talks about the inner landscape of beauty. He says, living our lives is a creative act. We are made in the image of a creative God. So we must ask, what are we creating? What inner life are we creating The 13th century mystic and theologian Meister Eckhart says, so many people come to me asking how should I pray, how I should think, what I should do, and the whole time they neglect the most important question, which is how should I be? The inner person might be a little scary, a little daunting to work on. You may think, I don't know how to do silence. I'm not really sure on beauty. Spiritual imagination, what's that? But I would say, God created us in his image, so we can't not have those things in us. They're there, they are readily available to you, but you have to submit them to God and you have to take the time to sit and pray. When that three minutes is up and you don't have the words to say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. If you have a prayer language, to be comfortable using that in those personal, small times of prayer, too. Knowing that God is giving you the words to say. The beauty of it is that the overflow of an inner life well-ordered is an external life well-ordered. Spend the time inside, and the outside will take care of itself. We're getting it wrong too often. I'm going to close us in prayer. We do have a few minutes left, and I'm going to encourage you to find a spot at your seat at the altar to sit and pray, 
It's okay if your mind wanders a little bit. You'll come back to it. But start in on that discipline of learning how to pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as students move around the room and they get comfortable in their space, God, I pray, Lord, for the riches of your blessings in their lives, God. Not in the external, but in the internal. We know that you have so many beautiful and good things for us that you want to mold us and shape us. That all those moments of goodness in our life, they are from you. All those moments of beauty, they are from you. And I pray, God, that each student here today would learn to hear their deepest longing for you deep down in their soul. Would start to make time and space to hear from you. In your name we pray. Amen.